You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. We're uh, in the tail end of wrapping up the Gospel of John. We're hitting the last week we talked about the crucifixion and just the incredible thing that our Lord Jesus did for us. But I'm glad that's not the end of the story. I felt a little bit like I kind of left us at the cliffhanger. You know, you watch the series and they kind of take you right up to the edge and are like, why can't we just watch the next one? And that really is what the cross is for us as followers of Jesus. We know the cross is empty. We know the tomb is empty and our Lord is alive. So I'm excited to talk to you this morning uh, about that. You know, there was quite a stir that Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the grave I mean, can you imagine the soldiers were milling about, making sure they were, you know, taking care of the watch and they were put on guard there to make sure that nobody broke in and stole the body of Jesus. And they were shocked, just completely dismayed. In fact, the Bible says they became like dead men. I don't know if they fell over stunned and passed out or if they just froze and didn't know what to do, but the Bible says there was a tremendous earthquake that morning and the angel of the Lord came down and rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but to let the world in and see. And those soldiers were terrified at that. And Jesus was alive. I can't imagine that he walked just out the doorway. Frankly, at that point, he could do, you know, he was not bound by the same body, if you will, in the same way. And and so early in that morning, Mary Magdalene and some of the other ladies went to, to see. They had grieved and the Sabbath was over. It kind of kept them away. They weren't able to go there for that day and still just reeling from all the atrocities that they had seen Jesus go through, the one that they had hoped in, the one that they thought would be their Messiah, thought would be their Savior, and hanging on the cross and brutally beaten and stricken. And they didn't get it. They didn't understand what that was all about. The apostles didn't. But the ladies went to the tomb, and unbeknownst to them, it was empty. They weren't expecting that. I presume they weren't expecting to go see inside. I presume they were expecting to kind of mourn and stay on the outside of it. And they were shocked. Their deduction was that somebody must have moved the body. And so they go back and they tell uh, the apostles, and they tell Peter and John, and Peter and John, of course, you know, being typical guys, didn't believe the ladies. Like, we're going to go see ourselves. And so they run to the tomb, and the Bible says that John outran Peter, and John stopped and looked in, and Peter blows by him and looks, goes inside it, and sure enough, he found an empty tomb, nothing, no one there, gone. And they, go, they believed that Jesus was gone, but they didn't yet still quite understand the whole resurrection and salvation and all of that. And so they go back and they report. But sure enough, John tells us Mary Magdalene stayed there. And she looks inside the tomb and she sees two angels. Apparently they weren't there when the men were there, and, but she saw them. And she's weeping. And they're asking, why, why are you crying? And And she's confused, and she hears someone behind her, and she looks, and she's looking at Jesus, but she thinks he's just kind of the gardener, the guy that's supposed to take care of the grounds and all that's going on. She says, if you've moved him, sir, please tell me where you've put him. I want to know. I want to grieve. And the Bible says Jesus called her by her name, Mary. And in that moment, she recognized him. I presume she didn't see him, just there was something going on that we don't fully understand is the resurrected Jesus and all of that, that his body looked differently. I don't know why, but she didn't recognize him. 
But she recognized his voice. And she said, teacher. And she runs and she falls at her feet and grabs him and holds on to him. And Jesus says, don't, don't hold on to me. I've not yet gone to the Father. And you know, a lot of people debate and wonder what all that means. And the best that I can tell is that Jesus is saying, Mary, I'm not going to be here the way I was. You're not going to be able to hold on to me in this way that I'm leaving and going to my Father. But regardless, He tells her, go tell them. You're going to see me. And she goes back and reports, I've seen the risen Lord. And they still didn't fully believe. But then they're gathered in the room talking about and milling about what's going on and all the events. Because see, for the Jewish Sabbath, they would have been separated right at the crucifixion. They would have been in separate homes and no texting going on. They weren't you know, looking at the latest news and the feeds. They were, they were isolated and separated. And so they were now coming back together for the first time, trying to make sense of it and grieving and it's confusing and what's going on. Even though Jesus had told them repeatedly, I'm going to rise again. I must die. I'm going to rise. I must die. I'm going to rise. It still didn't get through to them. And they're there together. And then comes Jesus standing in their midst. That's what we're going to read this morning. The resurrection. Look at John chapter 20. In verse 19. That evening. So the ladies were there early in the morning. Time has passed. And that evening. On the evening of that day. The first day of the week. That would be Sunday. That's why we traditionally have our... Worship day on Sunday, it's a recognition of our Lord's resurrection. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They had shut the doors, they were locked. If they had killed their leader, they knew they were at risk as well. And Jesus came and He stood among them. We don't know how He entered into that room, but the way that's written, there there was something miraculous going on. Either Jesus just entered into that room or that door just open from the outside, but regardless, Jesus made quite an entrance into the room. And He said to him, He said, Peace be with you. In other words, relax, be calm, don't be afraid, peace. And when He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. You know, the thing that should stand out to us about Jesus is not what He looks like in His face, but when we see what He did for us. And he said, look, it's me. He showed him his hands. He showed him the side where the soldier's spear had, had pierced him as we talked about last week. And then the Bible says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I want to give us this morning just a few reasons, the meaning, the importance of the resurrection in our life, the something that we as followers of Jesus don't take for granted and we celebrate it, but we don't necessarily always think about it. And I think our Lord wants us to remember this morning what the resurrection means in our lives. So transparently, I hope we all leave here this morning a little bit excited about it and a little bit reminded about what the resurrection is and the fact that our Lord is alive and what that should mean practically in our life today, that it should have an impact, not just while we're here this morning, but tomorrow morning when you get up and the next day. And the first thing I want us to recognize is because of the resurrection that we have joy. There's a joy. We have a lasting joy in our life because Jesus is alive. 
Can you fathom that they, they were expecting Jesus to be the Savior? No, they didn't understand what Jesus' kingdom was all about. We get it a little bit better. We probably miss it a little more than we want to admit even now, but they really didn't get it. And now Jesus is alive. Can you imagine the joy, the overwhelming in them when they realized they weren't seeing a ghost, they weren't seeing some weird trick, there was nothing funny going on, but Jesus really was alive. He was not just His body wasn't stolen out of that tomb, but He was alive. And it was a tremendous source of joy in their life in that moment. You see, for everyone who's a follower of Jesus, everyone who's surrendered and committed their life to Him, the resurrection is the center point of our life. And it's really the center point of our joy that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, was buried, and He rose again. And that should be the very focal point of all that gives us the greatest joy and satisfaction in life. Now, joy, like all the emotions, and all the joy is more than just an emotion, but it's, it involves emotion as well. But all of them, no, none of them happen in a vacuum, right? You don't, you get scared for a reason. Either your brain thinks of something that might happen, or you had a past experience of something that did happen, or you see something walking down the trail and a bear coming at you, and your body says, you need to be afraid now, and it is time for you to run. You know, it, There's a reason, there is a stimulus, a catalyst for those things in our life. We don't experience those just in a vacuum. There's, there's something that happens. For us as followers of Jesus, that, that catalyst, that stimulus, if you will, is the fact that our Lord is alive. And it just it produced inside of them such a, an incredible joy. Now, we recognize that we can experience those moments of ecstasy or those moments of just a, a sheer satisfaction and the sheer blessing, the things that, just, that, just, that we, we love and we, we like that. But for us as followers of Jesus, it produces a, a lasting joy. Not just a, a quick moment. Not like when you maybe go to the store and you buy something new. I went to the mall recently, and uh, I think if you look in Wikipedia, look up mall, I think next to it is says purgatory. I know purgatory is not real. I'm not going to put it there with hell, but it's like, it's kind of a notch above, you know? It's just like, why would anyone want to do that? I re- was reminded why I don't like to go to malls. And by the way, besides when I go to the restroom, and the guy's line was out the door, and the ladies wasn't at all, I'm like what kind of mall is this? Like, usually it's the ladies. And I realized, like, there was one stop for the guys. I'm like, somebody finally got smart, you know? They finally, like, balanced the things as they should be. But anyway, um, the joy that we should get should not be like when you just have that one moment because you bought something, or maybe you get a, a new vehicle, or maybe just something that happens for your day, or somebody gives you a gift, or brightens your thing, or your boss gives you a raise. That you get that, and you, you like that in that moment but then it just fades and it's gone. You see, the joy that the resurrection gives us is a joy that's an immediate. When we receive Jesus Christ as Lord, and that that becomes real in our life, and we understand all the impact of what Jesus has done for us, there's an overwhelming aspect that that someone would love us so much to give His life for us, and we're forgiven and freed. But then that joy continues. If... We continue to value it the way we should. See, what happens is we let life and other things begin to obscure it. You see, 
we really get joyful over things that matter to us and are important to us. The resurrection was not a point of joy for the Pharisees. They were disappointed. They were dismayed, for sure. They were probably angry and agitated and confused. The followers of Jesus, they were pumped and excited about that. You see, for us as followers of Jesus, our joy should continue to come back to the fact that our Lord Jesus is alive. And everything in this life that we find a satisfaction and joy should go back to that. As you know, I finished with my kids, uh, or as many of you know, some of you that's your first time here don't know this, but I, my, uh, my kids and I just finished hiking 137 miles. We spent two weeks hiking through the Adirondacks, so just sleeping in tents and lean-tos and that kind of thing. It's kind of my definition of fun, but I've had lunch with my, or dinner with my sister and brother-in-law a few weeks before that, and she said, why are you doing this? She kind of looked at me. Some of you are like, yeah, I've wondered that too. You know, Sean, have you lost your mind? And I kind of looked at her. My first thought was like, why are you asking me that question? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, because I like it. And she's like, well, I know that. And I thought a little bit further. I said, well, I said, honestly, I did it a few years ago because I wanted to invest in my, my sons, my two oldest sons, and I did it. I wanted to help them. It was a special time for us to just to, to connect, and I engaged with them about their spiritual relationship and leadership and all of that and what it means to be men. But this time I, my, I had different kids. My girls went along, but I want my kids to do something challenging, and I want all the, you know, I just, I want that, that, that challenge in the middle of life and for God to be in the middle of that. And there were moments of joy throughout. Like when we, we hit Tyrrell Pond, we had crossed over the highest part of the, the trail and kind of like the part like, okay, if you can get over this, you can do the rest of it. And, and we were sitting there, we camped, and we had our own little private beach. Don't think ocean beach, you know, miles wide. Think it was legit sand, but we're talking like maybe this wide, <laughs> you know, you could... And uh, and the rain was coming, and we kept looking at it across the beautiful the pond and kind of a cliff on this side, and it was sunset behind us, and the clouds were pinky, and, and all of a sudden there was a rainbow. And the kids started talking, you know, just like, boy, can you imagine somebody who's blind the first time when they see a rainbow? And I got to thinking, wow, what will that be like in heaven when people get to see that for the first time? And I thought, wow, what's it going to be when we all get to see Jesus for the first time? But it, it dawned on me, I'd never seen a sunset rainbow. You might have, but it was a rainbow against a completely pink sky. And I got to tell you, there was a joy in that. But there was a joy in what we're experiencing in relation to our resurrected Lord. There's a joy when we just many different moments in life and the practical things we have, but it's a, a gratitude in our heart that says, because our Lord's alive, we get to experience this. Because Jesus loves us, we get to experience this in our life. Like That really should be the focus of our joys in this life. You and I get into a mess when we make the world around us our biggest hope, when we make the world around us what's most important to us. And truth be known, we can have joy based on some of those things around us, but all of it is a reflection, a result of a God in heaven who loves us, that made us, and His Son Jesus who died for us and rose again. And it's an outgrowth of that. So our joy is something that should build through our life. It should be something that we value and appreciate consciously over and over again. It should, should grow and be refined in our life. And for that to happen, we have to pay attention to it. You see, you tend to love and value what you pay attention to. 
You tend, the things that you don't pay attention to, that you ignore, you begin to devalue, and you tend not to love them, and you tend not to have joy for them. By the way, that's how relationships begin to dry up and die and go away. That's how everything is. I, I don't enjoy my lawn. I'm glad to have a lawn. I live, thank God I don't live in the suburbs where I've got to keep it because I would probably be that neighbor that you would be riding the homeowners association like he's not taking care of his lawn. He's bringing my values of my property down. Like, why is he not? Why is his dandelion things blowing into my lawn and now I've got to kill dandelions because he's not taking I would be that guy. I don't pay attention to it. It has no value to me. It brings me no joy whatsoever. So my challenge to you this morning is, if you're missing a lasting joy in your life, when have you stepped back and began focusing on the resurrection of Jesus lately? If you walk through life and if you kind of wake yourself up and just like, boy, just another difficult day and everything's so hard. And hear me, folks, as followers of Jesus, it's not all bright and sunny, Pollyanna, happy, everything's wonderful and great. We own those realities. But after a while, as you walk through, and if you realize, like, wow, I just, my life is just so hard and nothing ever good happens, those are some realities. But you need to step back and get a different perspective because the Lord Jesus is alive. And He's in heaven, and you've got all the reason in the world to have an incredible joy in your life, even in the middle of the difficult things of life. Because of the resurrection, we have a lasting joy in our life. Second thing I want you to recognize, and I'm going to have to speed up a little bit, quite honestly. I'm saying that more for me than you. You can't listen any faster. Actually, you probably can, but I need to talk a little faster or go a little bit, do something a little bit differently. But not only do we have that, but I want you to notice that because of the resurrection, that we receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says that to them, He comes and He, he says, I'm here, be peace be to you. And they were excited. They milled around and all had to see and touch Him. And then Jesus says, peace be with you in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Because the resurrection of Jesus, we get to receive the Holy Spirit in our life. In fact, Jesus made it very clear, if I don't leave, you don't get the Spirit. And folks, as much as I would love for Jesus to be in our church this morning, wouldn't that be awesome? He could only be in one spot at one time on this planet. And the Holy Spirit lives inside each follower of Jesus 24-7 a day. And you and I underestimate the presence of God on high in our life. We we don't fully fathom the meaning, the significance, the impact of that in our life. That God in heaven, who there is no temple in this earth glorious enough for Him, nothing could be made that would be anywhere close to worthwhile for Him, has chosen to make... His home with us, inside of each of us who are followers of Jesus. And as we go and we live our life during the day, we don't go alone. That God, God is there with us. We don't go to work alone, and so often we miss that just pragmatic reality, and we drudge through life, or we go through a situation, and we struggle, and we think that we can't do it. And and yet the God of heaven is right there with us, and he, He guides us. 
And he encourages us in all the things that we've talked about. We won't go back through those with with the book of John. That he talks about just how much he helps us in life to to navigate the things of life, to help us to do what we should do. For example, I'm excited that we're part of the care portal, and that's going to continue to build more and more. And there'll be conversations and situations that you, as you volunteer in that, will be able to sit down and love on a a mom or a foster mom or a dad who have needs for their families. And it's not just about us giving them things, but we have the opportunity to pray with them, to talk with them, to share with them, and to to invest them in that moment. And some of you are going to hear some things, you're going to be like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I should do. And in that moment, it's okay, because the Holy Spirit will be the one to help you to know what you should say, or if you should be quiet, or if you should simply pray that we're empowered as we minister, as we serve, and we live, that He he helps us to accomplish the things that He would have for us in life, that He helps us navigate the simple, small decisions and things of life, things that are not even just ministry, if you will. I remember years ago when uh, we, my family had grown and we bought a big 12-passenger van. I had already had a minivan, and I bought a 12-passenger van, and I just, I don't think there's most guys, unless from like the 80s, like Mr. T, most guys don't want to grow up and have a van. That's not like your dream vehicle, you know what I mean? And I all of a sudden found myself with two. I'm like, can I get rid of one of these? Can I, you know, and I was thinking about getting rid of the minivan and selling it and trade it for a car, and Susan and I prayed about it, and we, you know, thought through it, and and I just and it made sense economically. I could save money and the values and all of that. I wasn't going to lose in the deal because, like, I'm going to be saving a lot of just gas and could anyway. But there was something in my heart. Our, Susan and I were both that morning. Just God was just saying, "Don't do it." When you have the Holy Spirit in your life, He guides you. And later on, we found out there was controversy. It was a used car, and they were rolling odometers and all kinds of funky things, and I was just able to say, okay, at least we are out of that mess. The, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, we live our life. And it's not a normal, average life, folks. Every one of us, that the God of heaven is with us there. And Jesus was saying, you are going to receive Him. They didn't receive Him then. It was kind of a demonstration of what was going to happen at Pentecost. But that was the first thing on Jesus' mind because Jesus knew He's leaving. He's ascending. He can't be held on to. And He's leaving them with someone else. He's reminding them. Not only do we have the, receive the resurrected uh, the, or the Jesus, the Holy Spirit in our life, but we have a mission. We have a, a purpose. We have a, a point, ministry that God wants us to do. He says, He says, I'm sending you. We we live a life of being sent. And he says, I'm giving the Holy Spirit. He's your resource. He's your empowerment. And here's what you're going to do in verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Unfortunately, generations ago, the church got this all wrong. They thought that the church or the representatives of the church, i.e. the priest, had the ability to forgive sins here and not forgive sins there, I would never want that responsibility. I just, to be perfectly honest with you, that's just, that's above my pay grade by miles. I'm I'm not a clean enough, holy enough person to do that because I would be using it somewhere along the way for my advantage. Like, well, what's in it for me (laughs) to forgive your sin? You know, what am I going to get out of this deal? That's not what Jesus was saying here, folks. What Jesus is telling us is that we as His agents, 
It's his servants. And he's talking to this. This is not just the apostles. This is not just the professionals. This is the church. The men and women were his followers, average ordinary people. You and I were people like that, hanging out in this room. And Jesus said, whom you forgive are forgiven, and whom you don't forgive, they're not forgiven. What he's saying is, is the church has a ministry going forward of forgiveness to people in a world. Because the world is guilty. Our culture and society doesn't understand that today. And more and more as we wander away from, not wander, we are headlong going away from what the Bible has taught. People don't think they're guilty. They think they're innocent and think they're victims. And what Jesus' baseline is, is like, yeah, no, the world's guilty. And the role of the church as ministry is forgiveness. To offer forgiveness. Folks, forgiveness only comes based on what Jesus did on the cross. And based on what Jesus did, we can offer that forgiveness to anybody on this planet. And we can tell people with confidence, if you put, turn from your sins and put your full faith and trust, you surrender your life to Jesus, you're forgiven. And we offer it based on that. And that alone. It's not about a person earning their way to heaven, being a good enough person, being a religious person. It's not about any of that. It's, all, it's not based on what we do. It's based all on what Jesus did. And we offer that to every man, woman, child, everyone around us, regardless of what their life is like or what's going on. And that is our job, that we have been given that responsibility. Think last week with me, the, the atrocities that Jesus experienced and the shock that His body went through as He hung on that cross. His back was filleted just wide open to where most people who were crucified, they had been whipped and their, their ribs were exposed and sometimes the, their internal organs began hanging out and just bleeding. And Jesus had all the symptoms of extreme blood loss, not being able to carry His own cross. And, and He would have been a very strong individual being a carpenter and a, and a construction guy his whole life and passing out and falling and then just His extreme thirst as He hung on the cross. And all that He went through, what's astounding to me is that because of that, you and I are forgiven. Because of that, all the judgment that you deserve and all the things that I deserve, because of what we've done wrong, Jesus has stood guilty for us. And you and I can go completely free and innocent because of Him. Folks, that is the greatest deal in the world. And we get to offer that to people every day if we want to. The best deal around. To every day to help people to know how they can experience that. And Jesus says, guys, you've got a focus. You've got a mission. This is your sent into this world to offer that forgiveness, to offer that oneness that comes, that, that acceptance with God, to know that we truly get a fresh start in our life with Him in every way that He sends us out in that. That's the mission and purpose of who we're to be as a church. That's the mission and purpose of who we are, how we're to live our lives individually at work and as we play and our neighbors. And if you've got kids, their, their connections and their families. And He wants us to live in such a way that we get to offer that. See, the world deep down knows it's guilty to a degree. 
And it wants to be free of that, which is why everybody's trying to proclaim, well, it's not their fault, it's not my fault. But the only way that we truly get innocent is when we accept that we are guilty, but we accept that Jesus took our penalty and our punishment. And when we receive that forgiveness based on what He did, then we truly become innocent. And we truly, the shame, the things that you and I have done in our past that still can nag at us and bother us, wish we hadn't have done, and why did I do that, and regret, and the shame of that, and the guilt of that, all of the anger that the God the Father in heaven had toward us in those moments was poured out on Jesus. And we get forgiveness and acceptance and oneness with God. That's awesome. Because of Jesus, we have an incredible mission, a purpose in this life far beyond everything else around us. Because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, we have, we believe. We have a focus of that believe. In verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Jesus came to that room. They saw him and they were amazed. Thomas was gone. I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't around. And they said, we've seen the Lord. Now he's a world-class skeptic. (laughs) World-class cynic. He would have fit right in with our world today. He would have been a great New Yorker. He He said... Unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I'm sure they're like, Thomas, we saw him with our own two eyes. We saw his hands. We saw like we saw it. And he's like, I don't care. Until I can touch it and see it, I'm not going to believe. We should be encouraged that such a world-class skeptic came to believe because it should strengthen our own faith because eight days later in verse 26 the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them and although the doors were locked Jesus had a panache for making an entrance Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you and he said to Thomas put your finger here and see my hands Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Literally stop disbelieving. Cut it out. Believe. Believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Because of the resurrection, we believe. We believe. We put our whole faith and trust into Jesus. See, faith for us is, is not, a, it's not a thing. It's an action. It's interesting. The Gospel of John 78 times talks about believing, believe, verb, action, and never once uses the word faith. Not one time. You see, Believing for us is not something you have. Believing in the Bible is not just, I have faith. Believing in the Bible is something you do. It is an actionable thing. It is something that is visible. It is something that is 
that has an impact. It is demonstrable. Don't hang me up on, I know that faith is not works. I'm not saying believing is a work and you do it. Don't, don't, don't time out if your theology brain's going down that road. That's good theology, but that's not the point of this. Believing is an actionable thing with inside of our heart that we trust a demonstrable thing in the God of heaven who loves us and sent Jesus to die for us and rose again. It's not just something that we just sit back passively and we possess and stick in our pocket. It's something that we live out of in our life. It's something that changes our life. And it's a it comes to the point of a surrender. For those of you that have been at River know we talk a lot about surrendering to Jesus. And we transparently do it because the world talks about faith so much. And it is watered down faith in most many churches, if not most, to be something that it's really not. It is just more of a little thing you stick in your shirt pocket. Believing in the Bible really involves a surrendering of your life. It's what Thomas just did. He saw Jesus. He believed that He is the living Lord of heaven, that He is alive. And his response was, You are my Lord. You are my God. That's what he's saying. He is bowing before Him and saying, you're not just God of heaven and earth, but you are now in charge of me. You are my boss, my Lord. You're my God. I trust you and I yield myself below you. That's what believing, that's what faith really is. Because of the resurrection, we believe. We surrender our life to Christ. And that for us today... We don't have the benefit of Jesus standing. He's not on display at the Smithsonian, thank the Lord. He's not, you know, over in Israel where you've got to make a, a, a journey over there to go see Him. Thank the Lord. We, we don't have the DNA evidence. We don't have the tomb any longer. We don't have the napkins there, the coverings. If we can go and run the analysis and get you know, the genealogy of, of Mary and, and do all of those studies, that's all long since gone. And that's what Jesus is saying. You've believed, and that's awesome, but really blessed are the ones that have not seen and will not see me, but they believe. And we believe not based on just you know ideas out there, but we believe what is written and told us. That's what John says here, and I'm going to end with this. He says in verse 30, the Bible says, Now Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles and wonderfuls and amazing things, in, in other words, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. For us, we believe what is written in this book. It's not a belief out, it's just some idea. It's not a belief of something we just heard on a Sunday morning or just an idea that our grandmother had. But we believe what's in this book book. You see, for those of you who have not received Jesus and surrendered your life to Him, it really does involve you accepting what is written down as being the words of God that you can base your life on. Now, I think that's a reasonable kind of belief. How many of you have ever seen an atom? Not, not a person, A-D-A-M, but an atom, the science thing, the A-T-O-M. How many of you have ever seen a, how many of you have ever seen a molecule? Let's go up from, a, from an atom. Anybody, you know, molecular microscopes or anything? I got a couple. I got one science nerd here. You were a little sheepish there, Tom. Like, loud and proud, man. 
All right. Thomas, seen, you've seen a molecule. Have you seen an atom? I don't, can you even see an atom? You would probably know better than me. It's a little fuzzy. Since I wear glasses, pretty much everything's fuzzy. So, And now I'm told that there's things smaller than atoms called quarks, right? And a quark is like, and atoms are made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Some of you are like, Sean, I never had this much science in college and high school. And some of you are like, you're talking my language. And if I'm understanding right, and if I got this right, quarks are like in the protons. Like we're talking really, 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 really small. And none of us have seen those things. Do you believe they exist, even though you've never seen them? I do. Because I trust the people that saw them and told me about them. And I don't lose a lot of sleep about it. See, we, we believe all kinds of stuff in life. It's not a big thing to believe that Jesus died and rose again. It's not a hard thing. It is a big and important thing. So some people get hung up on you know all of those things. We do it all the time. And if that's you, don't let your cynicism like Thomas keep you from really believing and surrendering to the Lord Jesus. So this morning, we're going to in just a minute celebrate our, our Lord's Supper. Where do you find your joy? Let me wrap it up for you. Is it in the Lord Jesus? Maybe you are going through a difficult season and you've lost some joy. Nothing's going to change the challenges that you're facing in those but maybe you need to focus on Jesus a little bit more in the middle of all of that. Maybe you need to be thinking of, about that. This morning, maybe you've been not focusing quite as much that God has given you a message of forgiveness. Maybe you even need in your own life, you've been carrying some guilt like, I just I need to forgive myself. Honestly, we don't need to forgive ourselves as much as we need to go to God forgiveness for forgiveness, and when He forgives us, we need to let that be enough. That's what we really need to do. And maybe that's where you are there. And if you're not wrestling with that, maybe you need to be holding forth that forgiveness to others. Because people are carrying around an awful lot of stuff, and Jesus wants to forgive and wants to change their life. Maybe you've been walking kind of a horizontal life and ignoring the fact that the God of heaven lives inside of you. Maybe you've been making decisions and things in life without checking in with Him. Maybe you've been walking around acting like you can't do all kinds of things. And God of heaven's like, yeah, you're right, you can't. But I can, and I sure wish you would let me help you. And maybe you need to dial in there. Maybe you just simply need to believe and surrender your life to Jesus this morning. I don't know. Lord, we are grateful for the cross. But Lord, I am so grateful for the tomb that is empty, that Jesus is alive and we're forgiven of our sins. We live a changed life on this earth. Lord, forgive us when we forget that and act like it's not real and we allow other things to take value and importance in our life. Help us to go back simply to value you and the Lord Jesus being alive. Not to be just weird Christians, but to be Christians that everything in our life is tied to that moment and that joy and that freedom that we have. Lord, help us to do that with a heart for you. I pray this in Jesus' name.